The Colorado Equals Security Podcast is your local source for regional security news, local events, and interviews with key individuals in the region. Now, here are your hosts, Rob Reck and Alex Wood. Welcome to Colorado Equals Security. This is the newscast for episode 119 for the week of May 27th. It's Memorial Day, Alex. Yeah, here we are spending our Memorial Day together, Rob. Holding uh, sparklers and fireworks and watching... Uh, uh, we're we're also doing the Pledge of Allegiance yeah. and uh, yeah. and saluting the flag. Those are some tasty hot dogs that your wife is grilling up over there. Sure are, sure are. All right, well, uh, this this is a, a big week. We're only one week away from the Rocky Mountain Information Security Conference, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later. I know you have some exciting news that I you do. want to share on that. But before we get into that news, we're going to do a little bit of a, a cliffhanger there for Uh-oh. everybody. Uh, let's talk about some housekeeping. Um, the so We have a, a Slack channel. We're at like 925 people on the Slack channel. Yeah, I've got 1,000 firmly in my sites. If you haven't signed up for Slack yet... Um, well, you're you're an idiot. I think that's that goes without saying, doesn't it? You, you know, I, I don't know that I'd go that far, Rob. Maybe you're just a slow adopter, but there's still time. You can sign up for Slack now. Uh, also, you could sign up for our mailing list. You go to the website, colorado-security.com. Go to the bottom of the page. There is a sign-up form for the mailing list. Once you sign up, you will get the show notes in your mail uh, whenever there is a new show. And you can also find the Slack uh, link to join Slack on that same page, colorado-security.com. Uh, we also would love it if you would rate us and subscribe on your favorite podcast listening application. We just recently got signed up for Spotify, right? We did. So if you're listening on Spotify, uh, welcome. Um, if you're not listening on Spotify, maybe you should try that out. Yeah. Um, I'd also say if there are other platforms where you'd like us to be on where you can't find us, please let us know. Um, also, tell a friend. We would love for you to spread the word about Colorado Equal Security. Uh, both the movement itself and the podcast and the website and the Slack channel. Just let everybody know how great it is and how much you enjoy it. If you've, if you've done that, you've told everyone you want to tell, uh, but you're thinking, man, I just wish there was more I could do to support the Colorado Equal Security Movement. Well, good news. What, what would it be, Rob? There is. There's a couple things. Number one, we would love it if you would help uh, financially support the, the movement. We've we've got a Patreon campaign. You can go out to the main website for the, the podcast and uh, sign up there. But also, we would love it if you would help us uh, with getting interviews. So, uh, you know, we, half of this podcast or more than half of the podcast each week is sitting down and doing interviews with interesting folks in the, in, in the industry and the community. Uh, we had Mary Ritz do a series of three podcasts for us or interviews for us. Uh, we would love it if there's others out there who think they have, you know, know some interesting folks in the community who they'd like to share. You guys could do interviews, share them with us as long as they, they pass the, you know, Colorado equal security seal of approval process. Uh, we'd love to have them on the show. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, I guess let's, uh, jump into the news. Well, before, before news, we have one more announcement here. Uh, we are right in the process of building a salary survey. And and in fact, in the next week or so, you should see this come out on the Slack channel. We'll probably put something on the front page of the website. Maybe. So I think we might, but Rob, before we would do that, this sounds really weird. Why would we have a salary survey? Why are we? So we're doing a salary survey because it is incredibly difficult for folks to understand where do they, where should they be in terms of uh, their pay for their job as you know, as a security professional. What should I expect to make? Um, and you know, there's there's different staffing companies out there that give it, but it's not it's not usually um, specifically security, specifically in the Denver metro area. And that's or, what we're building. Or if they give it to you, then you have to jump through a whole bunch of hoops right. to get the data, and who knows how good the data is, and yada yada yeah. yada. So. So yes, I think that those are great reasons. We do have a lot of discussion on the Slack channel 
about jobs and some of that discussion is around salary. I think from both sides, you know, both from hiring managers and from folks that are looking for jobs. So I think getting some real hard data on that would be pretty cool. So expectation is you should have, you should see that out in the next few days. Uh, there'll be a chance for you. If you fill out the survey, you'll get the results of the survey. That's the way we're trying to do it. Uh, we are anonymizing it. So you don't have to uh, map who you are to when you submitted it. You just have to basically submit it and then you confirm that you've done it. You get the results of the survey coming up pretty soon. Yep. So let's jump into news. First, uh, billionaire Robert F. Smith pledged to pay off the student loans for all of the graduating class at Morehouse College. This is awesome. Uh, he is a Denverite. He's a, a Denver native. Um, and not only that, he also owns somewhere in the ballpark of like seven or eight companies here in Denver. Well, he owns Vista Equity Capital. Yeah. And Vista Equity owns a number of companies here. Yeah. So, so that Vista owns Ping Identity, you know, where I work. They own Zackley, Vertifor, Granicus, Return Path, Four Winds Interactive, Finastra. They formerly owned Marketo. Um, so lots and lots of uh, companies, lots of employees in Denver were really proud when we saw this story. I know within Ping, it was a big deal. We really felt, um, you know, I, I guess it's proud, right? It's just a really cool thing to see someone uh, reinvesting back into the next generation. He had a, a great quote in his in his speech to say, "Hey, you know, it's not a question of you know trying to get a seat on the bus. It's he wants he says you need to own the bus and and be driving the bus and then make sure you're picking up others on the bus with you. And that that was his motto and what his message was for those graduating yeah. seniors. And I don't think that there is an exact dollar amount that has come out because you know some of that information is private, but. You know, there are, I believe, around 500 students in the graduating class. And, you know, it's going to be multi-millions of dollars to, well, to pay off the, the student The estimate debt. I heard was tens of millions. Uh, it kind of may, probably not any more than 40 million. That, I think that's what I heard. That's crazy. Yeah. Cool stuff. Uh, so, obviously, a big shout out to Robert Smith for doing that. Uh, next, we have a, a story from 538, uh, which is, uh, this is a sponsored story by WeWork, but it's actually pretty interesting because it's all about Denver. It's about Denver's tech boom and how Denver is building the next generation um, of thriving businesses. Yeah. So uh, the, the article goes into many different facets of why Denver is a great place to start a business, um, talking about the uh, the people that are here, talking about the low carbon tax rates, uh, talking about um, lots of different things that they have uh, in Denver infrastructure, um, you know, public, public transportation, public transportation, collaboration, you know, balanced work life, lots and lots of things that make Denver the great place that we know it is and the great place to work. Uh, yeah. So really cool stuff. It actually shows Denver as being the fifth best economy uh, based on their analysis. It looks like it's behind San Jose, San Francisco, Austin, and Seattle. So pretty cool stuff. This is, like I said, sponsored by WeWork. But, you know, we have talked about the fact that WeWork has become or is about to become the biggest leaseholder for space in all of Denver. So, you know, it's, yeah. it's a big, big partner with us here. For sure. Uh, next, Colorado has the lowest foreclosure rate in the country. Pretty cool. That's pretty cool. They, they say that only one8 Seven eight percent of mortgages are more than thirty days past due. That's pretty good. Do you miss more than two percent of your mortgage payments, Alex? I do not miss two percent of my mortgage payments. I miss less than that. That's pretty good. That's yeah. pretty good. Uh, so they they say that last year, twenty eighteen, there were fourteen hundred sixty one homes that were sold in a foreclosed or foreclosure sale. Now, if you look back twelve years ago to two thousand seven, there were about forty thousand homes yeah. that went through foreclosure. So just massive difference. Yeah, some of the things that they talk about, you know, one, that Colorado has a great economy right now, but also, um, you know, 
the mortgage process is much more regulated and stringent now after the crash. So it is, it's much harder to get a, a bad loan. Um, and they also think because, you know, you look at 2007, there were 40,000. That was a little bit before the crash. We actually had a lot of foreclosures before the big crash. And they think a lot of those people got, you know, pushed out of home ownership. And so now the people that are coming into home ownership are under these sort of new rules. And so mm. it's, uh, you know, that has helped us get, get that uh, foreclosure rate lower. There's another interesting stat they threw into this article uh, that Colorado home prices have risen by more than 80% since 2011. 80%. That is pretty crazy. Yeah, good good for people who bought in 2011, I guess. Exactly. Uh, next, uh, there is a drone training facility that is coming to Garfield County Airport in Rifle. So I didn't even know that drones could learn. That is <laughs> it's amazing to me. Well, you know, you never uh, heard the the joke. You can't teach a, an old drone new tricks. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I think maybe they, you know, the editors might have wanted to add drone pilot training. Uh, to the to the head to the headline here, but really what what they're doing is they're building a a place for folks to get qualified um, at the Rifle Garfield County, um, County Airport. So this is put together um, by it's actually going to be run by the uh, Center for of Excellence for Advanced Technology Aerial Firefighting. They're proctoring the training, um, and you're going to be able to get certifications from DHS from NIST. Um, and from the American Society for Testing and Materials, the ASTM, um, really around their certifications for drone piloting. Yeah, that is pretty cool. Um, I guess I hadn't realized that drones for fighting fires were that big. I mean, I had heard of, you know, using drones for firefighting before, but um, I guess to have that many people get qualified, it's, it's pretty cool. It sounds like a lot of fun. They also said that they are building a facility to do this. So it's not, you know, like out in a field or something like that. It's sort of a I think of like sort of a hangar um, and it, so it's indoor so people can do this all year round. And it looked like it was frames that were covered by, by canvas so that they, all of the RF waves can go through it. So you don't have to be able to see something to, to be, to be able to, to control your drone. Exactly. Uh, Next, we have a a story about Ibotta. They are a Denver based tech company that's looking to change the way we do checkout and make checkout at a store fun and memorable. Yeah. So Ibotta really started as a platform for, I don't know, you can call it membership rewards or, you know, something like that. You get cash back and other rewards. You scan your receipt when you buy something. Right. And based on, you know, scanning your receipt, you get some kind of cash back. Yep. Uh, but they are now turning their platform not only into doing those rewards, but into an actual payment platform itself. So you can pay for these things through the Ibotta platform and get the rewards at the same time. And they already have a lot of big retailers signed on. They are uh, they're in with Chipotle, Home Depot, and uh, thirty other retailers. Pretty pretty good footprint. And yeah. uh, you know, have you ever used Ibotta? I may have once or twice, but I'm not a regular user. I, I never have. I, I know headquarters is just a block or two away from my headquarters downtown. I probably should take a look at it. Yeah, you know, one of the things that they also said in the article was that uh, they are a little bit more privacy focused. So they are collecting data, um, as you know, most merchants do directly, but that you have more of an opportunity. Uh, to opt out and choose what they do with that data as opposed to the merchants who collect it and you don't have any say over it. I like it. Yeah. Uh, next, uh, San Francisco-based Circle CI is opening their second largest office in Denver. So I've never heard of Circle CI, but they do, they're they a platform that lets software developers build, test, and deliver their their code continuously. Um, and it, it right now they have 10 feet people in Denver and they're going to hire another 15 or so before the end of the year. Pretty cool to have yet another Bay Area tech company open it up here in Denver. Yeah, I hadn't heard of it either, but it's, you know, a continuous integration CI platform. Um, so they say it makes it easy to, to code on the platform and, and do continuous integration, which is cool. 
Um, they do have some some big name customers that they lift in here. Uh, lift that they list in here. Lift being one of them. Uh, Spotify, Dollar Shave Club. So it's you know, yeah. not a, not a small player. Good stuff. Uh, next, we have a, a press release from Coalfire. Coalfire has released a couple of new cloud services. Um, so they already have a few cloud services. They had th- three that they listed before this, but now there's two new ones. They've released the Secure Cloud Automation Services, which help enterprises build customized, automated security process- processes for compliant, audit-ready cloud environments. Sounds like they're really just trying to, to help you mature the way you build your cloud environments, right? Uh, and the second one, is uh, their their new cloud security strategy and maturity assessment service, which helps you evaluate your organization's current cloud security posture and then make changes based on where you want to go from there. Yeah, and these two services add to their portfolio that they already have of other services, including uh, cloud pen testing, cloud compliance, and uh, cloud security risk assessments. Cloud, 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 cloud. cloud. I didn't hear blockchain in there cloud. anywhere. Uh, next, uh, Optiv had a press release about their uh, new r- report that is coming out. This is the uh, cy- excuse me cyber intelligence report, security cyber intelligence report. Um, it looks at the threat landscape, and they had some key findings from the report. Uh, first, there has been a rise in cyber attacks uh, from the Netherlands and from Lebanon. I would not have guessed yeah. either of those. Neither would I. Uh, cyber social is the next front for nation states. I don't don't think that that is any surprise. Right, social media is a good way for people to to influence and kind of hide, hide under the radar. Right, critical infrastructure has been breached. Uh, again, I don't think that's quite of a, a shocker yeah, to me. I can't believe it. Uh, healthcare IoT is vulnerable. Uh, again, <laughs> so, 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 wait, what year is this? <laughs> <laughs> is this two thousand nine? Where are we? Uh, phishing remains the delivery vehicle of choice. I can agree with that. And then finally, protecting the brand rises in importance. Um, well, I think that that one is interesting. Maybe not one of the ones that I would have put at the top of the list, but uh, interesting to see that that came out in the report. Yeah, I, I do. You know, just to not be too hard on them, I, I think whenever you write a report that's true, which I'm guessing this is, <laughs> it's going to say the same things every year, right? Right. It's not changing all that much. So this report is reflecting the fact that you know that we're still vulnerable to the same things. And the bad guys are still doing mostly the same things. You know, there's a few new trends. I like the fact that they went after the social aspect, which that is relatively new. And uh, the, the focus on the brand, I think that's pretty good stuff. But mostly it's the same old every year. Last year there was bad stuff. This year there's bad stuff. Mostly the same bad stuff. Uh, well, we also had a press release from Ping Identity. Uh, this week we released something talking about um, the Ping M- Pem- Ping ID MFA focus with the Citrix Analytics and how that gives you better security together. Yeah, so Citrix Analytics is a uh, behavior analysis platform, you know, to detect uh, anomalous behavior. And they're using, Citrix is using it in their Citrix workspace. I believe this is sort of like a virtual desktop service. And they have uh, partnered with Ping so that uh, when their uh, analytics detect that something is wrong, you know, maybe that someone is not acting like they should, potentially compromised, they can use uh, Ping MFA to do step-up authentication. I love it. Pretty cool. Uh, next, we have a, a blog post. It's actually more research, even though it isn't a blog post. Uh, research by Red Canary um, around a paste bin scraper, stenography, and a persistent Linux backdoor. This is a pretty in-depth technical write-up. It is a very in-depth technical write-up, write-up pretty long. Uh, this is by uh, Dell Armstrong. I don't know that I know Dell. Uh, but it's a very good write-up. Um, basically, Dell started by looking at uh, at Pastebin, just searching for uh, a few things, and it sort of led down the path of 
uh, finding a you know an initial infection vector that then downloads um, what appeared to be a picture that had an executable inside it that then downloaded another executable loader that in another picture and so on and so forth. Uh, the result of all of this, if you if it had been executed by someone, was a rickroll at the end. <laughs> yes, yes, definitely a rickroll. Um, would have been um, persistent access via SSH into uh, into a a host because every time the root account ran, it would replace um, ls with a, a backdoored version. So, uh, pretty cool, interesting write up. I thought it was uh, pretty neat to read about. If you if you like to to read about the technical inner workings of of bad guys right now. This is a good chance, and thanks to Dell. Dell is a local Colorado guy. He's a detection engineer for Red Canary in Boulder. Previously ah. at IBM, maybe you ran into him at IBM. Or maybe I have. Well, good good work to you, Dell. Uh, that's the it, it for news. Moving over to our Slack message of the week, we want to start off by saying thanks to Andre Gaeta. Andre is the uh, the sponsor for this every week out of his own pocket. Thank you so much for doing this. Uh, thanks to Andre, we do get to give one item from the Colorado Equal Security Store to the winner of this uh, the Slack message of the week each week. So this week's winner is Ben Downing for sharing the Regex Golf site. So there was a question on the Jobs channel this week. Uh, about how to brush up on your regex and uh, he shared that site you can go to there and go there and practice your regex they give you some tough tasks like you know on the left side here are vi the results that should come back and on the right side results we don't want to come back with your query um, and, and basically you get to practice your regex skills till you can till you can get only the correct results awesome good stuff congratulations to ben you'll get to you'll get an email to pick something from the colorado equal security store events we are on events yes let's do it so uh we have an event calendar on the website go out there and check out all the stuff coming up through the end of the year uh, we do use this as a way not only for you guys to know what events are coming that you can attend but also for those groups in town that want to plan events to go out and make sure that they don't schedule their you know their meetup right over the top of somebody else's meetup right across town exactly so first uh, as you might have noticed we've been talking a lot about the rocky mountain information security conference that is just a little over a week away uh, pretty amazing that it is here already. Um, I've got some news about that. So we have sold out our exhibit hall. Woo! Uh, so uh, apologies to any of the sponsors that are out there that wanted a booth. We have no more booths. Uh, we do. But are there any other opportunities to sponsor? We do have a few other opportunities to sponsor. Uh, so please still reach out if you'd like to get involved. Um, but uh, I, I do have to say that I'm pretty proud that we sold that out. Um, it, it's a great thing. We're doing really well on that front. Uh, also, we are on track. We're very close already to getting a record number of attendees. So again, uh, growing, that's a good thing. Uh, glad to have all of the Denver community participating in Rocky Mountain Information Security Conference. If you haven't signed up to attend yet, please sign up to attend. We would love to have you there. And just as a reminder, I guess, reminder for those who do know and for those who don't, is more information. This is a nonprofit conference. This is not your RSA conference or your black hat that's looking to make, or your secure world, right? That's looking to make money on the event. This is put together by nonprofit groups, ISSA and ISACA. While some profits do come out of it, those profits are all used directly to, to fund the chapter events in town. So there, nothing's leaving Colorado. It's all meant to be used to improve security in the state. So it's a good thing. It is a good thing. And we do keep the cost as low as possible for registration for the attendees um, and high value, right? Three days of events for I think 250 bucks or something like that. Yeah. Um, membership uh, gets you a cheaper price. Membership at ISSA or ISACA. And, uh, and yeah, we look forward to seeing everyone there. 
All right, well, let's go through. Go ahead and go through the events for the next two weeks. Uh, we have our GDPR meetup, the social event on the 28th, which is the one year under GDPR meetup. I, I assume lots of drinking and uh, commiserating war stories. I'm sure. On the 30th, ISSA Denver is doing a happy hour. Also on the 30th, Checkpoint is doing their cloud mobile threat prevention. Welcome to the future of cybersecurity event. Uh, I'm glad we're in the future. Uh, on the 31st, CTA is doing an innovative look into ethics. On the 6th of June, IAM is doing their IAM networking event, which I think is actually at RMISC. I think it's actually specifically part of the event. Uh, so that would actually be on the 4th. What did uh, I say? I said you, said, you said the 6th. 6 is the month. 4 is the day. Um, also on the 4th through the 6th is the Rocky Mountain Information Security Conference. Um, just to just to clarify that IAM meetup is, is right after the first day of the event over at South Street Social. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Um, so uh, on the 5th through the 8th, CTA is doing their Techstars West Slope Startup Week. So if for those anyone who's listening from Grand Junction or anywhere on the West Slope, they're coming out to you. On the 6th, Splunk is doing their first Thursday meetup for Topgolf. You can get done attending RMISC and head down to Topgolf. That sounds like fun. And on the 7th, there is, in, down in Colorado Springs, they're doing their first Friday cybersecurity social and mixer. Uh, also on the 7th, um, is that the 7th or would it be the 8th? They're actually doing the 7th and the 8th. Oh, the 7th yeah. and the 8th. Okay. Uh, so ISSA Colorado Springs chapter is doing their CISSP prep class. So this is the first of the prep classes. They will go on for several weeks so they can cover all the different domains in the CISSP. Yeah, they're doing something like 7th and 8th, and then I think they're taking two weeks off and doing two two more days in a row. It's a little different schedule this year. All right. But it's I'll just say one of the best values you're going to get for training, you want to learn how to learn the CISSP for a very, very reasonable cost. I think it's just a couple hundred dollars for all of the different sessions. Or you could go, you know, pay for a week-long boot camp and right. spend several thousand dollars yeah. and not get the same level of information. Yeah. It's good stuff. Uh, obviously, we really appreciate ISSA Colorado Springs putting that on for us. That is it for the rest of the uh, next two weeks. We can go ahead and move over to jobs. Every week we try and, Alex and I, we comb the web looking for the very best jobs in security here in Colorado. We have to make sure that the web's part is in exactly the right place when we yeah. comb it. We comb the web. We do get people reaching out to us on a regular basis to add jobs. And mostly we say, no, that job's not good enough. We only put the best jobs on here. Uh, no, just kidding. If you post a job in the jobs <laughs> channel on the Slack channel, it will probably end up on the podcast because we're lazy and we want to get um, the easiest way to get the jobs on but here. Speaking of the best jobs in Colorado, Ping Identity is hiring a, a few different uh, product security uh, positions. So we're looking to hire leaders in product security. If you are a uh, an application security guru, uh, please reach out to me on the Slack channel. I'd love to talk to you about a management position there. And we're also looking to hire an individual contributor, a, a junior product security engineer, someone who's got a development background with maybe a passion for security, looking to make that change into security or a little bit of a background in that area, uh, reach out to me or apply on the website either way. Cognizant is looking for a senior IT security analyst. Teletech, or it's actually now called T-Tech, is hiring an information security principal engineer. Recurly is looking for a lead security engineer. Zeo Group is hiring a cybersecurity analyst one, two, three. Holy cow. That's Roman numeral three right there. Uh, I think you mean I, I, I. Transamerica is hiring a cybersecurity engineer, I, I. Uh, I'm, I got stuck with this word. Uh, is it Sextra? It's 
CYX Sixterra. Sixterra. Yeah, that's probably it. Sixterra. Sixterra Technologies is hiring a junior business continuity and disaster recovery analyst. And this specifically looks like someone who maybe is new to the industry looking for their first role. You know, I think that that's a good one because um, I'm all for the junior disasters. (laughs) None of the senior disasters, just the little teeny junior ones. So the good news is if it's a big disaster, someone else will take care of it. That's right. This (laughs) person only only deals with the junior disasters. Uh, Colorado State University is looking for an intern in security architecture. It's that season. The lot we've had quite a few intern postings recently. And final job of the week, uh, FireEye is hiring a security consulting project coordinator. Ooh, that's very exciting. Good stuff. Well, Alex, uh, bad news for you. This is it for the news. What? Yeah, I know. Uh, but I guess good news for you is now you get to listen to an interview. Yay! Uh, this is the first time we've ever had uh, a a member of the attorney general's office on the show. Ooh, that's very exciting. Um, so Daniel Petragallo, who is the, uh, the, uh, oh gosh, I'm going to get it wrong here. The, uh, the senior associate, uh, senior associate attorney general for Colorado. And he's the one focused on cybersecurity within that office. That's so awesome. I thought he'd be a perfect fit for us to talk to. I really look forward to hearing that interview. All right. Well, that's it now. Uh, happy Memorial day, everybody. Hopefully you're, you're enjoying your Monday off and you're listening to this on your drive in on Tuesday. Um, And we'll look forward to talking to you guys next week and we'll see you in person uh, next week at RMISE. Awesome. Thanks, Rob. See ya. Hi, I'm Tim O'Brien, the Director of Information Security at EDUCAUSE. Welcome to Colorado Equals Security for Colorado Security Professionals by Colorado Security Professionals. Welcome to Colorado Equals Security. This is Rob and I'm sitting with Daniel Petragallo. Daniel, you are uh, an attorney at, with the Attorney General's office here in, in Denver, at Colorado, I guess, for the state, right? We have a new Attorney General, Phil Weiser, and, and I'm excited to, to understand really what uh, Attorney General Weiser's focus is in terms of cybersecurity and privacy and where he's going and, and how your background uh, got you to where you are. Uh, but first, I, I, I understand that you are something of a, of a connoisseur of Pearl Jam concerts, uh, and I'd like to know Question number one, when did you first attend a Pearl Jam concert? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, my first Pearl Jam concert was in 2000. So shortly after I graduated from college, I, I was not a big Pearl Jam fan or a big rock fan. And uh, somebody handed me one of Pearl Jam's albums, I believe it was Binaural, and, which is one of the albums that's not popular at all yeah. with you know musical critics. And uh, I loved it, I took to it. And uh, shortly after I started listening to Pearl Jam, uh, early the next year, I met my wife, and yeah. uh, we uh, we kind of bonded over that. That was our initial discussion. She goes, "Oh, you like Pearl Jam? I like Pearl Jam." And so um, here we are, 18 years later. So, so shortly after you, you were introduced to them, you met a girl, and the and as a result of the girl, now you're a really big Pearl Jam fan. Is that is that what I just got out of this? I, that's uh, quite a leading <laughs> question. Are you sure you're not formally legally trained? That's uh, yeah, yeah, pr- pretty, pretty much. Together. So, how many Pearl Jam concerts have you attended? So I've been to probably about 35 Pearl Jam concerts in my life, uh, all since 2000. So that's uh, almost two a year. That's a pretty good rate. It is. You know, they, they tend to ebb and flow. So Pearl Jam will go on tour for a year, and then they'll take a year, 18 months off, and they'll release a new album, and they'll go on okay. tour again. Uh, so, you know, w- when they go on tour, we'd like to try and catch them two or three times. Uh, you know, uh, really fortunate. We, uh, we got to see them on my honeymoon. Oh, wow, that's awesome. Uh, twice, actually. Uh, we went to Hawaii, yeah. and uh, December 9th, they were playing uh, They were playing a show at the Blaisdell Center, which is the University of Hawaii's basketball arena, and there's maybe seats 8,000 people, yeah. and you know, we were 10th row right in the center <laughs> and just had a blast, and uh, it was a great way to start off our honeymoon. And then 
uh, we went to Maui for a week and came back to Honolulu and saw them at the Hula Bowl where Pearl Jam opened for you too. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it was a, a pretty cool concert. It was a lot of fun. It was a great way to do a honeymoon. Uh, we got to celebrate the thing that yeah. we both love and, uh, and I guess celebrate our love together as yeah. well. That's really cool. So, uh, favorite Pearl Jam album? Lost Dogs. Hmm. Uh, Lost Dogs is an album which has uh, a bunch of B-sides and rarities and, and the stuff that's deep in the closet. Yeah. And so uh, it, I, I really enjoy a bunch of those songs. It's also a double album, so there's 35 songs or 40 hmm. songs on there. You get a good selection. Um, yeah, absolutely. Favorite concert you've been to? Uh, Other than your honeymoon. Uh, we went to see them in Milan, Italy uh, during the World Cup a few years ago, and that was amazing. We were at San Siro Stadium, uh, which is where AC Milan plays, and the stadium's just gigantic. It seats like 90,000 people. Wow. And uh, the World Cup game was on, and Italy was playing right before Pearl Jam took the stage. And in order to see, you had to be further back on the floor, and so... In order uh, to see the, the, the soccer game. Correct, yeah. In order, to, in order to watch the World Cup on yeah. the TVs, you had to be further back. Right. So there was a bunch of space right up front at the stage, and uh, bumped into a guy in the merch line who said, hey, come on up front with me and my girlfriend. And the next thing I know, I'm, I'm like two people from the rail <laughs> in this giant stadium, uh, you know, watching my favorite band. And it was, it was amazing. It was wow. a really great experience. That's awesome. So the, the soccer fans were able to free you up to, to get best seats in the house. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. And is that also the furthest you've traveled to see them? Yes. All right. That's good. If, if you're going to have a long trip, it might as well be for the best concert. Good stuff. Okay. Well, I, I love getting to hear this background. Um, hopefully they have many more albums and many more tours for you guys to enjoy. Um, so let's talk about where you're from. Uh, where are you from originally? So I was born and raised in Los Angeles or a suburb of Los Angeles called Northridge. Northridge is where the, uh, the big earthquake happened in 92. Yeah. I moved out of there shortly before that. Mm -hmm. I mean, the earthquake was in 93, I moved out in 92. So I was uh, 13 years old. It was uh, right, before, uh, right before I started high school, I moved back to Pittsburgh where my parents were originally from. Yeah, um, and you went to high school in Pittsburgh? and I did, I went yeah. to Central Catholic High School in Pittsburgh, mm -hmm. which is uh, the home of Dan Marino. Oh yeah? Yeah. So you, got a, you got a celebrity there. Uh, and what did you do after high school? At some, at some point you got involved with law enforcement. I'm guessing that's college or law school or? Yeah, more post-law school. Um, I, in undergrad, I went up to Ann Arbor. Uh, mm -hmm. I went to the University of Michigan, mm -hmm. studied political science, uh, watched the Wolverines win a national title in 97. Oh, that's good timing. Yeah, four of the best years of my life. Uh, made great friends, had great experiences, and it was just absolutely wonderful. Yeah. And then uh, post-college, I went back to Pittsburgh to study law. I went to the University of Pittsburgh School of Law. Yeah. Um, focused somewhat on criminal justice. Um, did some interning in the DA's office, uh, those sorts of things. And uh, so when I, when I graduated, uh, once I got barred, I, uh, I decided to go work for the DA's office. And you know, my plan was to go there and get trial experience, maybe work for a few years, then go to a firm and you know, become rich and important. <laughs> um, but three years into my legal career, uh, it was 2000. 6, 2007, the economy wasn't doing very well. And so I ended up staying at the DA's office uh, for almost eight years mm. until I moved out here. Uh, but it was, it was a great experience. I did 35 felony jury trials. Um, you know, I did, I did all sorts of cases. I did homicides, shootings, uh, robberies, and I did some financial crimes as well. Mm. Uh, Cybercrime really wasn't a thing back then, or at least uh, you know, not, not prominent enough uh, that we were prosecuting those kind of cases yeah. at the time. 
So you got to you got to practice your arguing in front of a jury and uh, jury selection type stuff too. That kind of stuff I see on TV. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Not 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 quite as well scripted. No, <laughs> no I uh, I started practicing uh, my argumentative nature uh, when I was very young, probably in the third grade. I would yeah. argue with my teacher about whether or not my homework was late because I handed in at the end of homeroom rather than yeah. the beginning. And did, so you ever, the, did you ever win any of those? I did, yes. <laughs> and, and that was the problem. Like It only encouraged me to continue arguing more. Good stuff. So you were, you were in uh, Pittsburgh for the DA there um, through, was that 2010-ish then? Or what? Uh, so I moved here in 2012. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, my wife worked for the city solicitor in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. And uh, we looked around and she had never lived outside of western pennsylvania i was looking to get more back to uh like that that west coast vibe mm. a little bit and uh so we, we looked around we looked for other economic opportunity we looked at new york and we looked at florida and uh we looked at california and washington and we basically said where do we want to go where do we want to go live and yeah. uh, my college roommate uh, a guy named justin cole uh, moved out to Denver shortly after we graduated from college. And uh, finally, during, during the course of this discussion about where we were going to move, uh, we went out to visit him. He got married out here. My wife and I came out here, and it was just so gorgeous. Mm. Uh, Co- Colorado totally swept us away, yeah. and we were just like, well, we should move here. And, yeah. uh, f- and so I, the Bar Association really helped us out in that uh, Colorado has reciprocity with mm. Pennsylvania. And reciprocity means we don't have to take the bar exam again. Right. And that's a huge benefit because the bar is a real pain. <laughs> so uh, Colorado was one of the few Western states that had reciprocity with Pennsylvania. So that was really appealing to mm. us. And so we wrote our checks, got our law licenses, and uh, we were on our way. Did you have jobs when you came out here? Uh, we weren't able to move until we got jobs. Okay. And so you said your wife worked for the, the city solicitor in Pittsburgh. What did she end up coming out here to do? Uh, well, she's an environmental attorney. And okay. so uh, Colorado really fits her uniquely well. So is there like a firm that focuses on that? She's a part of the a firm? Yeah, the Colorado yeah. Attorney General's office. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, so uh, yeah. my wife got hired at the AG's office yeah. first in the natural resources section. And huh. um, you know, she, she did some parks and wildlife work and then she did some uh, water quality work and now she is in-house counsel at Metro Wastewater Sanitation yeah. District. All right. And then you, she got hired at the AG's office first. Did you it was shortly thereafter, or was it after you moved here, or what? Yeah, you know, I think we were both kind of targeting the AG's office from out of mm-hmm. state, and we had made that known. And she sent a, a resume out here and, and got, got an interview, did well, did a couple of telephone interviews, and then came out for an in-person. Uh, and, and eventually, she just found a fit, and she started uh, January 2nd, 2012. Okay. And then I came out here at the end of March that year. So we still had a house. I was right. selling the house. I was wrapping up things at my job at the DA's office. And I was still looking for work, too. Right. Uh, I very much wanted to get into the AG's office, uh, but you know the jobs weren't weren't there at that point. So yeah. I got an opportunity to work for the federal government uh, in the Department of Labor, hmm. doing mine safety and health work. So MSHA, Mine Safety and Health Administration. So it was it was an interesting uh, professional transition. I went from having to prove everything beyond a reasonable doubt to a jury of twelve, yeah. to doing administrative hearings in front of an ALJ. And, and having an uh, administrative law judge, so yeah. just, just one guy making the call. And, and my burden there was strict liability. So it was kind of like shooting fish in a barrel. It was, mm-hmm. uh, it was a lot Much of fun. For, yeah. Yeah. And so uh, you say mine, like, like, 
like the like a mine where you're getting ore out of the ground. Basically, that that's what we're talking about. Correct. Here. Yes. And it, you, it was for companies headquartered in Colorado or actual mines in Colorado. No. So um, how it works is the Mine Safety and Health Administration has inspectors, yeah. and so they'll they'll go around and they'll issue citations to mines for safety violations. Yeah. Those citations will then come to the litigation department at MSHA, and we'll try and figure out how to resolve yeah. them. Um, and so. Given the nature of, of the proceedings, and they were strict liability, typically the mine operators were encouraged to pay a healthy sum to resolve the, uh, yeah. the cases because right. yeah, they weren't going to do very well uh, at a hearing. Right. So, I mean, obviously, so far, you know, no technology is a part of your background. How do you go from working in, in you know, MSHA to, to getting into a technology background? Well, Rob, I want to thank you for pointing that out. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and well, it's uh, in, in 2013, after a year at, at MSHA, um, sequestration hit, and oh, yeah. I'm, I'm sure you recognize that buzzword. Mm -hmm. um, and effectively, what it meant was that federal agencies had to cut five percent across the board. Mm -hmm. And so, MSHA took a look at the last ten lawyers they hired and went, "Who can we get rid of?" Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, after a year there, I, uh, I took a job at a local DA's office, uh, and it, it wasn't necessarily a great fit, um, probably largely due to my experience, but. Um, I, I was at that DA's office for a few months and then had this opportunity over at the Attorney General's office in the Financial Fraud Unit. Okay. Um, and so this is, this is where my introduction and work with technology really begins. Um, so I came over to the AG's office um, in 2014. Mm -hmm. And uh, what I noticed right away was that there was a huge void in cybersecurity. So, I should say, start by saying that the criminal justice section of the Attorney General's office is probably only about 20 attorneys. So it's highly specialized, uh, but, but very small. But as the chief law enforcement agency in the state, I figured we'd have some sort of technology practice or some sort of cybersecurity practice while I got there, and they weren't doing any of it. Mm. Um, and so my primary mandate was financial fraud, um, insurance fraud, securities fraud. So. Uh, in addition to the to the white collar aspect of kind of what I was doing, uh, I one of my investigators is a guy by the name of Mike Ciavada. I believe he's a sergeant out in Golden now, uh, and Mike was great. I, we had some really interesting conversations about cybersecurity and technology, and I said, "Is there anybody doing any of this in law enforcement?" And he said, "Yeah, let me hook you up with the Colorado Electronic Crimes Task Force." Hmm. Um, and at that point, uh, you know, we I, I went to a meeting. This was only a few months into my tenure at the Attorney General's office. And I think pretty early on, I knew that the technology and, and cybersecurity was something that I wanted to get more involved in. And so uh, the one thing I did was I facilitated um, a memorandum of understanding uh, with the Electronic Crimes Task Force. So I'll explain what the Colorado Electronic Crimes Task Force is. Uh, it's a private-public partnership uh, funded by a congressional grant that's administered uh, by the United States Secret Service. Hmm. So the Secret Service runs this group and their mandate is to go out and to educate people about cybersecurity uh, and best practices. So uh, included in the group are Secret Service, um, academia, private sector individuals and other government agencies like the Attorney General's office and some of the local DA's offices. Hmm. And so the primary mission is, is to educate uh, and to facilitate relationships in the field of cybersecurity and then to train uh, prosecutors in that area. And so I was very fortunate. Uh, one of the benefits of membership in the ECTF is that uh, we got free training. And so I got to go to uh, the National Computer Forensic Institute in Hoover, Alabama twice. I got to go once for a week uh, to do uh, 
computer forensics for prosecutors, and then I got to go back to do mobile device forensics for prosecutors. And at that point, I was hooked um, mm -hmm. because I, I, I figured out that um, there was really no better evidence to present in a courtroom than digital evidence because digital evidence is very difficult to manipulate. Um, so I'll give you an example of kind of how I put that into practice. Uh, I did a wiretap case uh, against a large national motorcycle gang uh, who will remain nameless. And, uh, you know, when we, when, we used their, when we hit the search warrant uh, on the target's house, we pulled out a bunch of phones, a bunch of SIM cards, a bunch of computers, and then uh, analyzing all of that information on the hard drives and on the SIM cards that we got, it matched up perfectly to the wiretap, and we were able to prove not only were we intercepting, um, you know, the leader, the leader on uh, on wiretap, but we also had the simultaneous communications on his phone. And so, I'm a big proponent of not only uh, doing electronic interception, but also doing computer forensic work to back it up, because then you can close the circle. And if you present that to a jury, I think they would have a hard time ignoring evidence that conclusive. So, you know, this, this whole tangent makes me think of one of the best television programs ever made, The Wire, or around a wiretap in, in Baltimore. And I just got to ask you, you know, I know that that was city police and said, and you're, you know, you're doing state work. How, how accurate is, is The Wire from, uh, from HBO back 20 years ago? Based on my experience, I would say it's one of the most authentic television shows wow. ever made. Awesome. I love to hear that. Yeah. Love yeah. to hear that. <laughs> All right. So you got learned up on how to how to get digital uh, forensics evidence, how to start to use that as a part of your, your cases. Um, anything else you wanted to talk about with ECTF and, and how, they, how they helped? Uh, yeah, just a quick shout out to Ike Barnes, who is the head of the ECTF um, at, with the Secret Service. Ike's a tremendous guy. Uh, so based on my involvement with that group and, and my relationship with Ike, I, I've met a number of people in all sorts of uh, you know, walks of life in cybersecurity. I'm, uh, and so he's really been uh, very helpful in facilitating um, the whole concept of cybersecurity and bringing it to the forefront, certainly in the law enforcement community. Yeah. Um, and so building those relationships, knowing who I can call at the different agencies is a huge benefit because it, it allows us to help the people of the state better. Right. So there's some other groups in town that I know you, that you've worked with and had some interaction with. So IEPP and Silicon Flatirons, IEPP, the what, International Association of Privacy Professionals, I That's think? correct. Um, and then Silicon Flatirons, which I, I believe is like a, a local nonprofit legal professional association, right? Can you talk about where those things have influenced you guys and how you do your job? Yeah, uh, those are two great organizations. And, and uh, what they do is they, they facilitate discussions um, around privacy and around privacy issues. And so I think the, the, the best way to sort out privacy and, and, and to resolve privacy issues is to have a privacy discussion among stakeholders, including the people whose information is out there getting sold and the people who are actually selling the information as well. So uh, you, you, get, you get differing varieties of perspectives in groups like IAPP and Silicon Flatirons. Um, so I got involved with IAPP uh, through one of their leaders, a uh, person by the name of Tracy Lesher. I think you know Tracy. Yeah. Uh, Tracy uh, did a great job of getting me involved and, and allowing me to meet a bunch of the people in IAPP. Um, you know, th these attorneys help to advise companies on, on policy, on compliance, on best practice. And, and these are important roles, um, certainly for uh, when you, when you talk about the Attorney General's Office as a state regulator, 
we want to have good working relationships with the privacy community because we want their input. They're valued, uh, they're valued stakeholders, and uh, we want to work with them and not against them. Yeah. So this is great to understand how you got in where you are and uh, the organizations that have helped it out. And I know when we talked, when we first met, it was actually right before our new attorney general took over. And um, I wanted to hear, like, where are we going to be going in the future? So I guess that's going to be my question for you now is, like, what's the big picture mission for the attorney general, attorney, attorney general's office in general? And then I, after that, I want to hear, like, what changes Phil Weiser is going to bringing in with, with his new regime. But starting off, what's the big picture for the AG? Well, big picture for the Attorney General is uh, Phil Weiser wants to be the people's lawyer. Mm -hmm. First and foremost, he wants to advocate for and protect consumers in the state of Colorado, first and foremost. He also wants to make sure uh, that there is an environment that allows businesses to thrive. He, he believes that we can do both have, we can both have uh, consumer privacy and a business-friendly mm -hmm. environment. Uh, and so those are, those are some of his priorities. He's got a deep technology background. Um, he worked in the, uh, in the White House under President Obama where he was the senior advisor for technology and innovation hmm. for the National Economic Council. Uh, when he left uh, DC, he came back to Colorado and uh, he, was, he was a professor, founded Silicon Flatiron. So he's got an incredible yeah. technology background and is, is very well versed in policy. Um, and so I think you're gonna see uh, that knowledge base uh, really put to work here during his tenure as Colorado Attorney General. So he's been on the job for just a few months, right? We're, we're recording this late April, probably gonna go live mid-May, but he'll have been on the job just a few months. Have you seen any changes yet from his, his approach and you know, what he's, I heard, you know, big picture, people's lawyer. Um, what does that meant in terms of, you know, day-to-day, -day, any, any changes we've seen so far? I think the biggest changes you're seeing uh, within the Attorney General's office are that he is raising the bar. Mm -hmm. He is raising the expectation level for every attorney in that office and leading by example. Mm -hmm. uh, Phil works incredibly hard, he's, he is dedicated, um, and when he has initiatives, he wants to move them forward. He doesn't want to talk about them and, and, and let them die. He wants to really put them into action. And so a couple of changes that I've noticed, um, Phil, uh, appointed the first chief innovation officer for any attorney general's office in the country. Uh, her name is Lisa Neal Graves. Uh, Lisa has been incredible. She's made an amazing impact in our office and uh, she's doing great work to facilitate relationships and to incorporate uh, more technology into what we do every day at the AG's yeah. office. Interesting. An innovation officer at the AG, that's, that's innovative. <laughs> I like it. Uh, we also started, uh, well, as part of her innovation, uh, we started an internal cybersecurity and data privacy working group. And oh. so it goes to show that we're taking cybersecurity seriously and, and, and it's something uh, that maybe we haven't seen under past administrations. And so uh, Phil's also taking a, a multidisciplinary approach. So the internal cybersecurity data privacy working group uh, includes attorneys from consumer protection, it includes uh, attorneys from the medical field uh, with HIPAA expertise. It includes me from the criminal justice section. Uh, and so we want to have these discussions internally and we want to set good internal policies because we feel like in order to promulgate regulations statewide, they have to work internally in our office as well. Yeah. Uh, to, to, use a, to use a phrase, we have to eat our own dog food. Right. We, I like to say drink our own champagne. It makes it sound a little nicer. It does. Yeah. Um, all right, so let's get a little bit more specific. What are uh, 
the Attorney General's Office's priorities specifically in regards to cybersecurity and data privacy? Uh, so AG Weiser believes that the AG's office should be a leader in cybersecurity and data privacy. And I think the question then becomes, how do we lead on those issues? So I, one glaring absence here is the absence of federal privacy regulations. And so mm -hmm. we're taking a hard look at that. And uh, you know, given the absence of those regulations, we're going to need to support Colorado laws uh, that protects consumer privacy and choice. Um, I, I think we're long overdue. Uh, for federal comprehensive privacy legislation, but if we're not going to have that, then I think we need to take a hard look at what we can do on a state level uh, to better protect consumers. Yeah, so I, I couldn't agree more that it'd be, it'd be great to have a federal mandate on that because of how painful it's going to be for someone like me to manage uh, different state regulations everywhere. However, I, don't know, I think it, it's not super realistic to expect our federal government to get anything done right now. So what could we do in the interim? What, what could you guys do in the interim to help, you know, help get something done? Well, I, I think that's a great question. Um, you know, we can have discussions, we can contemplate, we can do nothing or we can take action. I mean, yeah. there's, a, there's a broad spectrum of uh, different things that we could do. I'll, I'll tell you the one thing that we're not going to do is, is pass a CCPA, California Consumer Privacy mm -hmm. Act type law right now. What we want to do is, uh, we want to analyze the issue. We want to figure out um, what might work best. We want to get input from the business community. We want to get input from InfoSec. We want to get input from the privacy community. And we want to figure out how best to regulate these issues in the state of Colorado. Hmm. Uh, I, I am interested to hear that, you know, the CCPA perspective as, um, you know, I actually am I'm a fan of GDPR as, as a, a template for things. And as I look at what should the U.S. do, I'm like, well, it'd be great if we could use, you know, as close to the GDPR as possible. Um, CCPA, you know, gets part of the way there. What my worst case scenario is, we get 50 different CCPAs with just their different nuances, so you, you, you can't comply with with all of them, right? And, and, I, and I, I always just get worried that, uh, you know, advocates trying to do the right thing make the world a lot worse, which I think we've done with notification requirements, right? Like notifications state to state are so different that you really you know, you have a hard time complying with all of them. You guys have any thoughts about like ways that, that the AG's office can help with that, or is that, is that really more in the legislative area? No, I think, I think the, the best advice I have in that regard would be to comply with the most restrictive notification requirement, and then you'll be in compliance. Yeah, but they're not always, like, it's a combination of things to get most restrictive because some of them are uh, based on, you know, when you notify the, the AG's office and when you notify the people. And, and it's not just one state that you can say, well, that's the most restrictive state. You know what I mean? Sure. It's a, it's a hodgepodge of requirements. Um, so any, any particular things you guys are planning to do around uh, other than trying to, you know, be a, help raise conversation? Anything you guys are going to go after in the next year or so for security and data privacy? Yeah, I, I think one of the things we'd really like to do is, is promulgate best practices for small and medium-sized yeah. businesses. We feel like there is... Um, you know, an, an underserved contingent there uh, where we might be able to get information to people who can then put it into practice to, to secure their systems and their, and their businesses. Uh, we feel like that's the best thing we can do yeah. uh, right now. Is that something you guys would maybe partner with, with like the Secretary of State's office as they have, they obviously have all those records for all the businesses, right? Uh, yeah, yes, yes and no. Uh, we're kind of looking at this as a little separate initiative, but certainly we, we want to draw input from them. Yeah. Um, but I think what we're gonna do is reach out to the various communities that I just talked about and get their input and figure out how best to get these best practices out. Yeah. Uh, is, it, is it a white paper? Is it just standards on the website? 
you know, is it is it actually reaching out to communities and going in person and giving in-person yeah. trainings? All of those are options that are on the table, and you know, we we want to educate and we want to facilitate. I love the idea of going to where the people are because you know, a bunch of us writing white papers for each other to read, you know, it just doesn't get us very far. Um, and the people who you most want to see these things, frankly, are not going to the web and you know, googling. You know, white papers for how to improve my security, right? They're people who just don't think of it. Um, so figuring out, like, do they have a professional association? You know, how, how do we get in front of those small business owners? That's that's high value. Yeah, and I think another thing is the the, the statute that we passed here, HB eleven twenty eight, uh, requires reasonable security measures. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in, in light of the size and nature of the business. Well, what does that mean? Right. You know, we, we we'd like to give more specific guidance to some of these businesses, and we're not gonna we're not going to give strict legal advice, but we do think we can point people in the right direction and help them get more into compliance and, and direct them to the resources they need um, to get into compliance. Yeah. What about like the enforcement of uh, that cybersecurity law you just referenced? Is, that a, is enforcing that thing a priority for you guys? Because I mean, there's a difference between the giving guidance and then going and you know, punishing people who violate it. How do you balance those things? Well, we, we want to be fair to both consumers um, and businesses, and so I think part of being fair is, is giving guidance to the businesses about how to comply, what the expectations are, and give them the resources they need mm. to figure out how to get into compliance. And maybe that doesn't include, you know, giving them formal legal advice, but uh, you know, talking about what some of the best practices are, and talking about some of the examples uh, that we think are reasonable security measures for given companies, it could go a long way to illuminating. Uh, the issue for for companies that are trying to get into compliance. Yeah. Okay. So you help uh, give them some knowledge, but what about enforcement actions? You know, I think uh, right now enforcement actions are, are not necessarily the first thing that we're looking to do, but we feel like the right case for an enforcement action will present itself. Mm. And, and what I mean to say is, you don't want to take an enforcement action against somebody who's trying to comply with right. the statute, with somebody who's taking steps to get into compliance that's trying to, to act in good faith. The, the type of case that we want to take an enforcement action on is one where um, the actors are acting in bad faith, right. where, where um, poor security practices are so obvious right from the beginning uh, that, that we're left with no other option but to take an enforcement action. Yeah. And so uh, one of Attorney General Weiser's um, biggest issues is he wants to be fair to businesses, and he wants to enable them to get into compliance. And he does not want to—he does not want to hammer them with enforcement actions if they're trying to act in good faith. And right. so, he—it's it's important to draw that distinction that we're going to go after people that act in bad faith and are clearly, um, you know, implementing improper security procedures. Yeah. And I, I think we've seen enough examples in the. In the media over the last year or two, to we, we all know what those really bad actors look like, and and if Colorado has some of those pop up, that that might be a good place for you guys to start. Okay, um, you know, moving outside of strictly Colorado, are there some national groups that you guys are working with regarding security and, and privacy? Yeah, one of the national groups that we work with is the Conference of Western Attorneys General. It's a CWAG. CWAG uh, is a nonprofit group uh, that has a um, it's, it's comprised of a number of uh, state, elected state attorneys general. It is the Western Attorneys General, but it's, there's 42 states involved, so really it's most of the attorneys general. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they have, a, they have a cybersecurity working group that I get to meet with roughly quarterly um, you know, to discuss some uh, pressing issues and also to, 
to work on different things. Like we uh, we discussed uh, safe harbor initiatives previously, mm -hmm. uh, but one of the real great benefits is that uh, I get to work with national experts, people from Microsoft and Google and Amazon. They're sitting in our in our small uh, you know working groups, giving their input. Certainly, um, you know from their large business perspective, but also. The expertise that they have is extremely valuable because I can then take that back to my estate and say, hey, here's what Microsoft, Google, and Facebook are talking about. Yeah, that's great. And do you guys also partner with the FBI or the, the Colorado Bureau of Investigations? We do. Uh, we do. Um, I'm part of FBI InfraGuard, which is kind of a national security-based cybersecurity working Public group. private partnership again. Right? Exactly, yeah. yeah. So the FBI's got theirs. The Secret Service yeah. has theirs. Um, and then we, uh, we do work cases with CBI. Uh, it's interesting that you mentioned CBI. Um, when you talk about doing criminal cases in the state of Colorado, one thing that comes up is jurisdiction. Mm. And so what's interesting about the Attorney General's office is we don't have original jurisdiction over all crimes. They have to be specific types of crimes, and those crimes are securities fraud, insurance fraud, mortgage fraud, uh, tax fraud, those sorts of things. Yeah. Anything that falls outside of that domain, uh, we have to partner with a local DA's office in order to file our case into that jurisdiction. Yeah. So with, with those different types of crimes you just mentioned, you know, what electronic crimes do you guys get investigate and, and work on prosecutions for? Uh, so primarily the types of cases that we're investigating are, uh, are financial fraud cases, certainly uh, myself on the financial fraud unit, and then also uh, my office will invent, do some uh, wiretap and organized crime cases. So we're investigating traditional crimes. We're not doing network intrusions or DDoS attacks necessarily. We're, we're investigating conventional crimes, but we're using electronic evidence in order to prove them. Gotcha. So, so when you know, you're, you're looking at a financial crime and all of a sudden it, it requires someone who understands how to get access to these systems or can, can do, you know, get evidence, forensically sound evidence out of email or a messaging app or whatever it is, that's kind of where your expertise would come in. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And then, uh, you know, one other thing that I've that I've done since getting this forensic training is to yeah. uh, is to get the capabilities to do mobile device and computer forensics in house at the AG's office, which is something that we didn't have before. And yeah. so now we have in house experts who are trained to do mobile device and uh, traditional computer forensics. That's great. So you know, just putting on the uh, the devil's advocate for just a second. That's not the right word, maybe, but uh, ask you a, a, a random question. What is the one crime that I could go commit tomorrow that would most quickly get you to try and investigate me? I don't know, you threaten somebody on tape, probably? That'd be, that'd if, be you? If you go shoot somebody in the middle of Fifth well, Avenue? That's not you. <laughs> that's, that, that's the police, right? But how do I get, how do I get you, you know, personally to come investigate Rob Reck? Well, uh, Rob, if you were to take uh, somebody's money in a joint venture, perhaps, yeah. and uh, commit securities fraud, yeah. and maybe misappropriate that money and, and put it in your personal bank account and go spend it to yourself. So if I, if I stole Alex's money uh, and, and he went and complained, he's the, you're the one who might help him. That's correct. Okay. So we'll make sure Alex doesn't listen to this podcast and uh, we'll keep going from there. Um, all right. Speaking of you know, engaging with the community, uh, what can security professionals listening, you know, regardless of what they do for day job, what can we do to help you be more effective at your mission of being the people's lawyer? Uh, you know, I'm going to give the InfoSec community a chance to do that, um, specifically on the Slack channel. Yeah. So uh, this is this is kind of a call for for assistance. Uh, one of the things that I've been charged with doing is uh, promulgating best practices for small and medium-sized businesses. And you know, I'd love to get some thoughts from the InfoSec community on what some of the basics are uh, for some of those 
uh, types of businesses that they could do to secure themselves, mm -hmm. the best bang for their buck. Yeah. So you're looking for tips on, you know, what are the top 10 things a, a small business can do? Absolutely. And you'll be posting a, a way for folks to get that feedback to you through the Slack channel? Yes. I love it. I and, love and, it. I, and I'm shooting for Slack message of the week. I'm, <laughs> I'm not afraid to say that. Andre, I'm coming for your merch. <laughs> I love it. Uh, what about local companies? You know, last question I had uh, written down here. What are local? What can local companies do to help with your mission? You know, I think one of the best things that a local company can do is if they have evidence of a breach, if they feel like like they've been breached, pick up the phone and call us. Call the attorney general's office. Call the FBI. Call the Secret Service. But call somebody, and we want to we want to help you, and we want to facilitate uh, getting the right people to you. And so, you know, if if you give me a call or you give the FBI a call. Either way, I can get I can get you to the right person quickly. Yeah. And so, don't turn a blind eye. Uh, you know where where you just upload your backups. If you've been the victim of an attack, please let somebody know. Okay. The, and and what's the what do you get out of knowing? And then of course, what does the company get out of of them having told you? So, but it's not necessarily what we can get, but what we can provide. And okay. so, we can facilitate those relationships. If it's a criminal situation, if somebody's stolen, I don't know, ten million dollars. I have, you know, I have good contacts with all of the different local, state, and federal law enforcement agencies around here. We want to get you on the cell phone, uh, you know, with the head of the FBI cyber, with the head of the yeah. Secret Service cyber. We can facilitate those types of, of conversations and, and cut down on the lag time between identifying a breach or an incident and then responding to it. And, and maybe I've heard in some cases the FBI may be able to help get back some of the money that was stolen. Um, and, and of course, I assume you know they're taking this data about these crimes and aggregating them into a larger case, so that when whenever we do catch the bad guy, there's more data to actually put that person, you know, put the full weight of the law uh, behind whatever action there is. Yeah, that's correct. There's something called the financial fraud kill chain. Uh, that if you if you get uh, to the FBI within 72 hours of sending a wire transfer, they have a really good chance of clawing that back. Mm -hmm. And so when I talk about facilitating these conversations. You know, if you save an hour, a couple hours, if you save a half day, that might be the difference between you getting your $10 million back and you losing your $10 million. So pick up the phone and call somebody and we'll get you to the right people. Awesome. Well, that was it for questions for me. Is there anything that I should have asked you that, that I didn't that you wanted to talk about? No, I think we covered everything. Uh, you know, I think I'll leave you guys with this. If you need anything, if there's any way the Attorney General's office can help, please give us a call. Uh, the number is 720-508-6000. Uh, and again, I'm Daniel Petrigallo. Please feel free to reach out to me um, if you're a member of this community and listening to this podcast. Uh, we want to help in any way we can. Awesome. Daniel, thanks so much for your time. This has been fun. Uh, we'll look forward to hearing you know, how the AG's mission is going over the next couple of years. Um, and that's it for now. We'll talk to you guys again next week. Thanks for having me. Learn more about the Colorado security scene at colorado-security.com, where you can see information about local security groups, a calendar of upcoming security events, and learn more about Colorado equals security. Reach out to Alex and Rob by emailing info at colorado-security.com. Until next time, remember, Colorado equals security.